You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. in Ezekiel 2, and I don't really know what's going to happen. This basically, this message, uh, it's a standalone. It doesn't have to do with any series that we're doing. It's just basically the overflow of my heart and what God's been doing uh, over the last several months and and kind of where I think we are as a church and what he wants us to hear. So uh, let's look together. Actually, we'll start in chapter 1, verse 28, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 3. Ezekiel chapter 1, we'll start in verse 28. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance, the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the lightness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear you or refuse, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, Son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words nor dismayed at their looks for their rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me a scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll, and I will give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for every person who is here today. And I believe you've brought in here for such a time as this. And I pray that right now that you will uh, protect us from attacks from the enemy. uh, That you will uh, keep us from being distracted. That you will focus our mind and our soul, our, our heart, our entire being on what it is that you have before us today. I pray that... In my preparation, if there's anywhere that, um, Father, I've said something that doesn't need to be said or I have not said anything that needs to be said, I pray that you will just move through me, Holy Spirit, and that you will give me the words that you want us to hear as a church. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, a couple months ago, one of Fellowship Paragold's finest tennis players, Andrew Watson, reached out to me and uh, I I wanted to play some tennis. Um, he assured me that whenever he called me, that since we're both threes on the Enneagram and overly competitive, that this is not going to be a competition. It's just going to be a friendly game of hitting back and forth. However, 
upon getting to the tennis courts, within about five minutes, he looked at me and said, you ready to play a game now? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm ready. And so uh, we begin to play uh, a tennis match or a tennis set. Basically, the way tennis works is the first one to win six games is victorious. And I am happy to say this morning and very surprised that in our very first set, I think I beat him 6-2 or 6-3. And so um, felt really good about myself. I actually thought I want to stop right here because Andrew is certainly a better athlete than me. I think he's a better tennis player than me. So I'm like, I will retire while I'm on top. And so... Um, you know, I left that night feeling pretty good about myself, but within a week, Andrew called me back, and he was like, hey, I'm ready for a rematch. <laughs> and so we go back out to the tennis courts. You know, we go around 8.15, it's so around on Wednesday nights, and now we've got uh, Dr. Schatz. Are you a doctor now, by the way? Can I call you Dr. Watson? No, not yet. Okay. Uh, close. All right. And so, and we bring some other guys with us, but we want to play another one-on-one game. And we get out there, and long story short, this time, rather than me beating Andrew, he beats me. And after the game was over, he comes up, and he's not joking. He's being as serious as can be. He looks at me, and he said, you know, since the last time we've played, I have been strategizing, and I have been thinking of how to beat you. <laughs> he said, I began to think about it literally uh, day and night, and I began to realize that, man, you've got a weak backhand, and if I can hit it to your backhand, you don't have enough strength to get it over the net if I will charge the net. And as a result, because of his strategy, sure enough, he was able to defeat me. And I share that with you this morning because here's what I want you to realize. As a church, we have an opponent. We have an enemy who, whether you believe it or not, is strategizing against us for the purpose of taking us down. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all, what's the next word? Strategies of the devil. The truth is today, whether you realize it or not, you have an enemy who at this very moment is planning to take you down. An enemy who Jesus says has developed a strategy to kill, steal, and destroy the life that God has created you to experience. And therefore, in order for us to be prepared for this strategy, I want to look at Ezekiel chapter 2. And what I want you to see today is four things that I believe the enemy wants to do in order to keep us from being the church that Jesus has called us to be. And before I give you those four things, I think it's important for me to set the context for you. What's happening in the book of Ezekiel is the people of Israel are in a cultural turmoil. Their country has been divided into two, the north and the south. The entire nation is polarized, and for some time now, God has been telling them, you need to turn from your injustice. You need to repent of worshiping idols. You need to turn from your wicked ways and turn back to me, because if you don't, you will be judged. However, despite the warnings over and over again, Israel refused to repent. They refused to turn back to God, and as a result, God in this section has allowed the superpower of the day the Babylonian empire to come in from the north and do the unthinkable by trashing their temple and then carrying the best and brightest of Israel away into exile in Babylon. And it's in this moment of chaos, it's in this moment where their country is in this major tension that God appears to Ezekiel. And what's remarkable is what we saw in chapter 1 is the glory of God which at this point was expected only to be in the temple in Israel, the presence of God is discovered by Ezekiel right here in chapter 1 in the most wicked and pagan places on the planet. And in the middle of this chaotic and tumultuous time in Israel's history, in a time and a place where you would at least expect to find God, Ezekiel gets a glimpse of God's presence. 
And it's not in the temple, but it's in Babylon. It's a reminder this morning to all of us that oftentimes the Spirit of God will turn up when and where you least expect Him. That's what we see happening right here in Ezekiel 1, but then we get to Ezekiel 2, and in Ezekiel 2, God is going to give a missionary call to Ezekiel. Like the prophet Jonah, God is going to call Ezekiel to go with a specific message to a specific people. But unlike Jonah, listen to this. God is not going to send Ezekiel thousands of miles away. He's not going to send Ezekiel to a foreign land, but he's going to send Ezekiel to his very own people. A people who, I want you to hear this, are still going to the temple. God is going to send Ezekiel to a people who are still attending church. He is going to send them as, as a missionary to a people who are still offering sacrifices, still worshiping uh, through these worship services, still going through the religious motions, still checking all the religious boxes. And yet the reason God is going to send Ezekiel to these people is despite their religious activity, they are a people whose hearts are no longer captured by the one true God. In other words, God is sending Ezekiel to a people who, though they are familiar with God, are far from God. And the reason I think this is so important for us today is because I believe this is the same context that God is sending us to go into today. To a city where despite the fact that we see a church building on every corner, despite the fact that we see a city filled with people who claim to be religious, we have a group of people who have settled for a counterfeit version of Christianity that Christopher Smith refers to as a therapeutic, moralistic deism. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but I want to explain this because I want you to understand the religious context that I think we find ourselves in today. When Christopher Smith says that the people in the South have settled for a therapeutic Christianity, what he means is for many people in the South, we have begun to believe the lie that the reason God exists is primarily for my own individual happiness. And therefore, the ultimate authority in our lives is not God, but the ultimate authority is my individual happiness. And therefore, I will never do anything, or God would never ask me to do anything that would not, or that would, make me uncomfortable. These are people in our context who basically want the kingdom of God without the king. These are people who, I would say, want the benefits of Christianity without the cost of actually following after Christ. That's what it means when he says therapeutic, that's what Christopher Smith means when he says therapeutic. But he also says that the religious culture we're in today is not just therapeutic, but it's also moralistic. What he means by that is in the South today, there are many people who have believed the lie that more than God wants to make us new, he just wants to make us nice. And I would say this belief especially is rampant in Paragold, Arkansas, which is literally known as the friendly city. It's the belief that if I will just be a good old boy... As long as the good outweighs the bad, then one day I'll make it into heaven. I was at the hospital on Friday. My wife had surgery. And after the surgery, they called me back to go uh, be where she was. And as I was walking to her room, hadn't seen her yet, I'm walking by her room. And this man says, Mr. Pickney. And I look, and there was a man in the room who I'd recognized. And apparently he had had surgery. And I looked at him and said, let me go talk to my wife first. And then I'll come back and I'll, I'll talk with you. So I go talk to my wife, get, kind of get her ready doing a bit to be discharged and all that. And I go back, and long story short, I'm sitting there with this guy, and he begins to open up to me, and he's on pain medication, so he's probably opening up more than normal. And he looks and he says, you know, man, he goes, I, he goes, I, I haven't ever done, I haven't done everything right in my life. I still am broken. He goes, I, matter of fact, I smoke pot every single day. And, uh, and he goes, you know, and, and I'm sure God's not happy about that since it's illegal and I get high a lot and everything. He said, but you know what? 
He goes, good news is I lead worship for my church in Paragold almost every Sunday. Now, I won't tell you the name of the church that this is at. But he says, I, and, and I serve in the kids' ministry. And so the way I look at it, man, is he says, I just hope that at the end of the day, the big man upstairs will say that I've done more good and bad, and he'll let me into the pearly gates. A lot of people believe that way. I was talking to my neighbor um, a couple weeks ago, prominent guy in the city, um, would claim to be a Christian. And I was taught, he saw that I'd went to the mosque in Jonesboro for the sake of helping to reach some people that, uh, that, that our missional community has been ministering to and saw that Philip and I had gone to visit. And he says, man, tell me about the Muslims. What do the Muslims believe? And I told him, I said, well, Muslims basically believe. And I just kind of went through it. I said, in essence, they basically believe here are these things they have to do. And if they will do them all perfectly or close to it, then they can work their way into heaven. And I'm not lying. He, he looked right at me after I said that. And he said, oh, so it's basically just like Christianity. That's moralism. And a lot of people in the South have bought into it. That's what Christopher Smith means by moralistic. And then the third thing he says is, is there's a lot of people who are deists. Though we would never say it. In other words, what he's saying here, there are people who believe, yes, that God is real, but he's removed. Yes, like God shows up in places like this because it's a church service. This is sacred. But really, when it comes to the everyday stuff of life, he isn't involved or interested. And so what that means then is we pray, but not because we want a relationship. We pray when we get in trouble and we need God. Dia said he's removed. Yes, we say, I want faith, but we compartmentalize our faith. We say, yes, I want to give God my afterlife, but I don't really think he needs me to give him this life. And so I'm going to keep my family right here. I'm going to have my job right here. I'm going to have my finances right here. I'm going to have my hobbies right here. And then, of course, on Sundays, I'll have my church right here. Therapeutic, moralistic deism. This is a belief that I would say is held by our neighbors, our co-workers, and churchgoers all throughout the city. And therefore, like Ezekiel, we are, as missionaries, as those who have been baptized in the family of God and filled with the Spirit of God, are being sent to a people who I would say, who though are familiar with God, are far from God. And therefore, in light of that, as we dive back into Ezekiel 2, because we are living as missionaries, I would say in a context like Ezekiel, I want us to see in here in Ezekiel 2 the strategy that the enemy wanted to implement against Ezekiel in his religious context, because I believe it's the exact same strategy he wants to implement against you and me in our religious but lost context. Does that make sense? And so let's look back together in Ezekiel chapter 2. And the first thing I want you to see is this, is in order to disable us, in order to defeat us, what the enemy wants to do first is he wants to put you and I into the wrong posture. The enemy wants us to believe that we are not in a spiritual war right now. The enemy wants for you and I not to be ready for battle to not be ready to stand into the breach, but rather what the enemy wants from Fellowship Bible Church is to be a group of people who are passive, dismayed, defeated, and bored. What the enemy wants, if he's going to defeat us, is he wants to convince you, listen, that the church primarily exists for you rather than for the mission of God. He wants us, in other words, showing up here every single week with a you-better-impress-me attitude. Come on, Jared, give us something interesting today. Tell me a funny story. Come on, worship band, give me a reason for why I should get my, put my membership here rather than the church down the street. This is what the enemy wants. 
He wants us not ready to join in a fight, not come into a church for the purpose of partnering together in a mission, but rather he wants us sitting in a position of consumerism rather than standing in a posture and in a place of contribution. And we see this right here in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, right, or God says to Ezekiel, son of man, stand up, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and he set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. So which came first? Did he, did he stand and then receive the spirit? Did he receive the spirit? Didn't stand with the chicken or the egg? It doesn't matter. The point is, God comes to Ezekiel and he says, I've got a mission. I'm going to send you on it. And if you're going to get in this mission, you've got to get up. You've got to stand and join me. This is amazing to me because it's a reminder that though God does not need us to accomplish his mission, by his design, he chooses to partner with humanity. That's crazy to me. That a perfect holy God would choose an imperfect people like Ezekiel, like you, and like me to participate in his holy purposes. I was thinking about the movie, uh, Christopher Nolan's movie, Dunkirk. Anybody seen that before? Several of you. Okay, yeah, it's, it's the true story about the evacuation of the British army from the beach of Dunkirk. And there's this moment in the movie where the troops are stranded on the beach. And they're kind of in this line. And they're sitting there and they're stranded and they can't get off the beach. Because every time they try to get off the beach, the German forces basically just bomb them and kill all of them. And so there's this moment in the movie where the British naval command comes up with this plan. Where literally they say, you know what we're going to do? We are going to make a call to the retired men and the women and the young boys of our coastal villages to come and rescue these soldiers. And there's this incredible image in the movie where all of a sudden the troops look up and what they see is this ragtag, motley crew of strange ships and unlikely people who are coming over the horizons to rescue them. And as I begin to think about this image, I begin to think to myself, like, man, that is the church. In all of our hang-ups, in all of our anxieties, In all of our issues, we are, according to Scripture, a ragtag of motley people and strange boats who have been sent on a rescue mission. We are God's plan A, according to the Scripture, to rescuing the city of Paragold and Jonesboro and beyond. We are a people that are to go to others in this city who are right now stranded on a beach far from God, and we are to go and reconcile them through Christ back into a relationship with the one who alone can save them and satisfy them. Guys, this should blow our minds if we believe that. It should blow our minds as we look all throughout the Bible and we see that God is famous over and over and over for showing his grace, grandeur, and glory to the world by taking dust like you and me and blowing his spirit into it and then doing something beautiful. There are thousands of people in this city right now who are stranded on the beach. There are people who are taking pills and shooting meth and looking at porn and working overtime and vegging out on Netflix and just staring at their phone like this monkey I saw at the zoo the other day that was staring at this strange like ball in their pen, like just consuming. There are people just we're committing ourselves to empty religions, we're placing our ultimate hope in the government. There are people who are stranded on the beach, and what they need is people like you and me, people like us, to courageously stand in the breach and with love in our hearts go to where they are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And because the enemy knows that this is true, he will try to convince you to sit when you should stand. He will try to put you into the wrong posture. But next, not only do we see that he wants to put us in the wrong posture, but the second point is he also wants to make you afraid of man. If you look in verse 6, God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, be not afraid of the people that I'm sending you to, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Am I now trying to seek the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? For if I were trying to please people, listen to this, I would not be a servant of Christ. Plain and simple, we will not live as effective missionaries of this city if we are afraid of the very people God is sending us to. If we elevate the opinions of others above the opinions of God, if we allow the demands and voices of others have more authority in our lives than the voice of God, Rather than moving forward in faith, we will shrink back in fear. And listen, as a result of that, you will miss out on the empowering presence of God in your life. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, the Bible says that King Saul, who was the very first king in Israel's history, it says that he feared man more than he feared God. And as a result, what happened in chapter 16, verse 14? It says the Spirit of God left him. For some of you this morning, if you can be honest, whether it be your parent or spouse or kids at school or co-workers, some of you in here, you fear man more than you fear God. And as a result, you are missing out on what God wants to do in you and through you. I was uh, thinking, I'll never forget back in 2007, I came home for a summer to do jail ministry. And I remember, yeah, there I am. I look a little bit different now than I did then, right? And I remember walking into this jail for the very first time. And um, it was a little intimidating because there was a guy that was like in solitary confinement, I guess is what it would be called. I don't know, Don oversees the jail here now. So you might have to help me with my story, my terminology. But lockdown. what's that? Lockdown. lockdown. He was in lockdown. I like that even better. And so, uh, and we walked in and this dude was in a straight jacket and in a wheelchair and he was spitting at us as we walked by. Now there was something between us, but he was spitting and he was hollering like growling. It was really, it was demonic is what it was. And, and, and we walk in and, and I don't know if it's still this way anymore, but when you walk into jail ministry, at least back then, they locked us in like a cafeteria area with the inmates. And so we go in there and I mean, I was, I was scared. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not going to make it, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> And so I'm about to get up to talk when other, all of a sudden a jailer wheels in the guy that's in a straitjacket. And he says, hey, he wants to know, can he join you guys? And before I can say, absolutely not. Uh, this guy right here that is on my left, Sam, says, absolutely, bring him on in and take off his jacket. And I'm like, this is the way it ends, you know? Like, this is it. And uh, I'm the first one up, and I'm in seminary, and I'm learning Greek and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I mean, these guys right here that are with me, they do not even have a high school education. But I get up, and I have things I was going to say that I didn't say. And I, 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 mean, I, I don't even remember. I was just scared to death. 
and I go and sit down. I'm just like, oh, you know, like just like sit down there, like all defeated. Like I realize, like, you know, I'm tripping all over myself. And then Sam gets up, the guy with the Bible. And this dude is common and uneducated, but you can tell he's been with God when you're with him. And he gets up, man, and he begins to stumble through the gospel because he said what the Spirit had laid on his heart. I am not exaggerating. Half the room, including the guy that was in the straitjacket before it was over, were in a circle crying and calling out to Jesus. And I realized in that moment, as it says in Proverbs 29, 25, that the fear of man disables. It hinders us from the thing that God wants to do in us and through this. And because the enemy knows it's true, he wants to make you think, that God is small and people are big and you should care more about what they think than what God thinks. He wants to put us in the wrong position. He wants to make us afraid. Third, what we see in this passage, because he wants to defeat us as a church, is he wants us to buy into what I would call a cheap grace. If you look in verse 8, he says, You, O son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious, like that rebellious house. Be not rebellious like the people that I'm sending you to. For some of you this morning, listen, you have bought into the lie that grace means that you now have a license to rebel. That you now have a license to do what you want, when you want, and at the end of the day, you're going to go to heaven because you prayed a prayer whenever you were at VBS or, or whatever it may be. And if that's your view of grace, you don't know grace. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Amen? Amen. And what has this grace trained us to do? Verse 12, To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. For some of you this morning, the enemy has convinced you, he has sold you on a cheap grace, and as a result, you are slowly being conformed more into the culture around you than you are into the image of Christ. By the way you handle your money, by the way you handle your time, by the way you parent, by the way you, your perspective on relationships and sexuality, if you can be honest, it doesn't look any different than the person beside you who doesn't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And therefore, because of that, I think this morning the Spirit's calling some of you to stop some stuff. To stop trying to follow Jesus and live like everyone else around you. To stop trying to keep one foot in the faith and one foot in the world. You will not remain balanced that way for long. Some of you in here, you may believe that that little sin is not that big of a deal when in actuality, it is stopping God from working in your life. If we are going to be an effective church, if we are going to live as effective missionaries to this city, guys, please hear me. What Paragold needs is not for us to be known as relevant, but we need to be resilient. What Paragold needs is not for a church that looks and acts really cool just like them, but what the city needs is for a people who are being tempted in every way, like they are being tempted, but we're refusing to give in to the temptation. Paragold needs to hear stories of people who say, you know what, I used to get drunk every single day. But thanks to Jesus, I've been sober for four years. Paragold needs to hear stories like that. They need to hear stories of people who say, you know what, I used to be just like you. I used to be ate up with anxiety. I used to be depressed. I used to be this. I used to be that. I used to be addicted to drugs. I used to be addicted to porn, whatever it may be. But now, thanks to Jesus Christ, 
thanks to a lot of grace and a little bit of grit, I have been set free and I'm living the life that God has created me to live. Guys, the truth is, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. But you also have the flesh. And these two are at war against each other every single day. And listen, that battle will not end until eternity. And I know that because of that, and I'm right there with you, there are times where I just want to throw in the towel and say, forget it, man. Everybody else around me is doing it. Forget it. But I want to encourage you this morning, please know that the battle you are fighting is not just a battle for yourself. It is a battle that God wants to use to turn into a gift for others. It is the very soil in which God, through his spirit, wants to birth beautiful things for the good of the city and the glory of his name. And therefore, this morning, I want to encourage you, don't lose heart in your battle against sin. Don't give in to the temptation. Do not become like the very rebellious people that we are being sent into. Don't buy into the lie of cheap grace. Don't buy into the lie, please, guys, hear me, that just because you prayed a prayer that you're going to heaven, You will not see that anywhere in this Bible. You cannot have Jesus as Savior and not have him as Lord. Christianity is about submitting all of your life to him. Don't buy into the lie that the culture is feeding us right now that says, if it's hard, it must be bad. And therefore, you have to hide from all sorts of challenge and difficulty. When your MC gets hard, when your missional community gets hard or awkward, Please, reject the temptation to shoot that sneaky text or become that shady person where no one knows, like, are they really in or are they out? When your fight club begins to call you on something or it begins to get difficult to wrestle the kids on Sunday mornings and come here week after week, please do not pull back. That's what the enemy wants. It's what the enemy wants. He wants to settle in for a cheap grace. He wants us to buy into the lie that you can have Christianity without the cross. And finally, what we see in this passage is in light of all that, because the enemy wants to put us in the wrong posture, because he wants us to fear man, because he wants us to settle for a cheap counterfeit grace, finally what we will see is he wants us ultimately to neglect time with God by neglecting our time in the Word. If you will look at Ezekiel again, chapter 2, verse 9, look what we see. Ezekiel says, when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he appeared, and it appeared, or and he spread it before me, and it had a writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. When you spend time with God by spending time in Scripture, when you let the Spirit begin to speak into your life, when you pursue not just information from the world, but heavenly wisdom, which does not puff up, which actually changes your life, which is like jewels, the Bible says, that you dig up in the ground, when you begin to meet with your missional community and your fight club and you begin to work through the practices that you see in the Bible, 
when you, like the first disciples in the first church in the book of Acts, which we all say we love, when you, like them, begin to devote yourself weekly to the teaching of the scriptures like you see I'm doing right here, when you do that, you will begin to become like Jesus. And it is only then that whenever we begin to fill our city, it is only then when we begin to fill our neighborhoods and our places of work and our schools with a Christ-like presence can we truly make the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child in this city. The truth is there are thousands of people right now sitting at home. Or they're sitting on a boat. Or they're at the ballpark. And they are asking themselves, what in the world is this all about? They're asking themselves, what am I doing with my life? Is this really all that there is? There are people right now who are looking for God in everything and anything. And you know how God's going to appear to them? Through you. And through me. Through us being the church that God has called us to be. And the way that we are going to show them what Christ is like is by becoming like Christ. And the way that we become like Christ is by taking this word seriously. By not just listening to it and checking some notes and saying, was that an A, was that a C plus, what was that sermon? But by actually taking this, guys, and eating it and swallowing it and digesting it and applying it to your life so that by doing so, then you become like Jesus. And as we feel the city, we feel the city with his presence of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. This is what the world needs desperately right now. I was reading an article this past week in Time Magazine that said, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, America is now the most anxious nation on the planet. I read another article in New York Times that said, according to recent statistics, suicide rates have increased in nearly every state in America. Needless to say, guys... Paragold really needs the church to be the church. Bad. They don't need a people who just kind of play this religious game. They need a people who are being transformed, who show up with a non or with a transformed, non-anxious, joy-filled, Christ-like presence in the chaos that happens in our schools and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and in all the nooks and crannies of our city. But that will not happen, I'm telling you, if we neglect God's word. If we do not take time to eat this scroll. If we do not take the truths from we read in the scripture, not just the ones we like, I mean, but all the scripture, and take this and seek to apply it to our lives. Ezekiel says in here, guys, hear this. Ezekiel says this tastes like honey. The enemy convinced you this is bitter. So he's after us. He's strategizing against us. Question is, what are you going to do about it? Part of the story I didn't tell about tennis is I called Andrew back a week later and said, I want a rematch. And because I knew what his strategy was against me, I was able to defeat him the third time. We need to pay attention to what the enemy's doing. Will we counter it? Will we, like the prophet Ezekiel, 
say for such a time as this, I want to stand up amongst the people who though are very religious and familiar with God are far from God. And are we going to do what's necessary for us to embrace a posture we go and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? The good news is this morning, and I'm closing, if God can show up in Babylon, he can show up here. If the Spirit can do a great work in Ezekiel's day, he can do a great work in our day. Do you believe that is true? I do. You may not, but I do. I believe that God wants to do a great work in through Fellowship Paragold that is so great that I'm not going to get glory for it. No one's going to be able to say, well, it's because those guys have a good band, or they have a cool building, or they have pretty good teaching, and the guy wears tennis shoes rather than penny loafers, and that's why people are showing up there. I think God wants to do a work that's so great in Fellowship Paragold that only he'll get the glory for it. But I'm telling you right now, it will not happen if we sit rather than stand. It will not happen if we stay in a wrong posture of consumerism rather than contribution. It will not happen if we fear man. It will not happen if we do not go all in. It will not happen if we choose to become like the culture rather than become more like Christ and take this message to where the people are. To help us get to where I think God is calling us this morning, every week we partake of communion, and we're going to do that again today. And here's what I want you to realize as you come to Protective Communion. We have two sessions at the front, two in the back. You will never, please hear me, guys. This is, you will never go all in for Jesus until you really believe Jesus has gone all in for you. It don't matter what I say. It don't matter what our band plays. It don't matter what programs we have, women's ministry, what, it don't matter. You will never go all in for Jesus if you don't believe he went all in for you. Communion's a reminder that every single week. It's a reminder that we need that Jesus literally, God in the flesh, so perfect and sinless in every way, went to a cross and died the way we deserve to die for our brokenness. And then he rose from the dead so that we can now stand before God, holy, blameless, and accepted. And what's amazing is that not only do we know now that God is for us, so we don't have to fear man, amen, we are the beloved, the creator of the universe says, I accept you, so who cares if people lessen God doesn't accept us? Now, because God is for us, not only do we have to fear man, but the Bible says when we trust Christ, God is only for us. He's now in us. He gives us his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So everything I just talked about in here, guess what? You have the power to do it. You literally have the power to do everything that Christ has called you to do. And when you fail, not if, but when you fail, because we still have a battle against the flesh, the good news of the gospel reminds us that not only do you have the freedom to live the way you were called to live, but you also have forgiveness when you choose not to live that way. And that's what the gospel reminds us of every single week as we tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. If you're a Christian, I invite you to come and partake. Again, we have two stations in the front, two in the back. If you are not a Christian, rather than receiving communion, we would invite you to receive Christ today, to surrender everything that you have to him. And today, by the way, would be a great day to receive Christ. You can do that right where you are. And you get a bonus today, by the way. Not only do you know that you receive eternal life with Christ, but Jamie Davis made more fresh bread today. So you get access to that. So today is the day of salvation. Um, I would love to talk with you. If you're here and you want to know more about following after Christ, I'll be standing right here. Step out of the shadows. Come. I'd be happy to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything else, even if it's not salvation, it would be a delight for me to be able to pray for you. 
And so, but if you are here and you've trusted in Christ, I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to partake now as the band comes forward. I want to pray over you, and I want to pray that God will specifically help us to believe what I just said, that we will embrace this vision of what it means to be his church.